and columns again today and what we're going to be thinking about is the last sermon in the didn't see it coming series and it's called irrelevance uh, and the subtitle is the slow creep of irrelevance now that kind of hurts doesn't it to think about the slow creep of irrelevance now each of us in our own way uh, are in a constant danger of irrelevance in other words we have lost touch with our culture or we've lost touch with kind of what's going on in the world around about us and we slowly creep into a position where we become less and less relevant to the people around about us and to the world in which we're living. For many here at St Columns, you're used to being people who are relevant in the workplace. Uh, you are currently, or you may have been, people who had great significance in your work context. Uh, you were respected, you had a great position, uh, and you made a great contribution. And at some point, People in that situation have going to, are going to go through the phase when they've had to move on from that, or they've already been through that phase, uh, and you suddenly become the ex-leader of the organisation, or the ex-senior something, or the ex-whatever uh, it is. It's going to happen to all of us, or it does. it is happen, happening to all of us. Whether you're a political leader, a medical specialist, a lawyer, a CEO, an expert in the field, or a head of a school, one way or another, we'll move on from those positions. Now that's one form of irrelevance and another one relates to organisations and movements. I'm led to believe that shopping centres upgrade or do a recast of their facilities every 10 years. Uh, schools, in private schools in particular, do it about every 30 years. And churches, if they get around to it, do, about, do it about every 70 years. I had a rather shocking experience a number of years back when I went back to the church that I'd grown up, up at for my mother's funeral. Uh, and the only thing that seemed different in the building to when I had left there when, at the age of 21, when I went off to the country to teach, was that they had a screen in the corner uh, for the PowerPoint. Everything else looked exactly as it has been, as I remembered it, and nothing much seemed to have changed. Well, I've had two periods of itinerant ministry, first as the youth director in the diocese, and second as the bishop of the Eastern region. And when you are an itinerant preacher and you're preaching in different places, most weeks, you kind of get to notice things. And you do notice after a while that some churches are stuck in a certain era. Uh, there are churches in the area that are stuck happily in the 1870s and other churches that are stuck in the 1970s or a range of other kind of places that you might get stuck. Now, in some places, they're kind of very happily stuck in those areas, but they may not be necessarily all that relevant to the context in which we find ourselves. So right at, at, right at the outset, thinking about irrelevance, I think raises two obvious questions for some of you. Firstly, what, uh, why, what, why are we even thinking about this issue of irrelevance? Does it really matter? Uh, because for some of you, you're not even focused on being relevant and you're not even fussed about whether you matter to anybody else in particular or not, because you're just getting on with your life quite happily as it is. But secondly, profoundly, potentially, uh, and, and incredibly, this could be incredibly offensive for some people because it could imply that only people who've got places of significance are relevant and important and then the people who are just living average, ordinary lives, like, let's face it, most of us, uh, aren't all that important. Well, that's not the point. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to think about whether we're living lives that are connecting with people in real and positive ways or whether somehow, without realising it, we've become irrelevant. Bearing in mind that in this series on Didn't See It Coming, we're thinking about things that creep up on us, uh, and then you can discover down the track that somehow you've lost the plot 
and you didn't even know it was happening. It's called Didn't See It Coming for a reason. Now, in the book uh, Didn't See It Coming, Kerry Niehoff puts it this way. He says, irrelevance happens when the language, methods or styles you use no longer connect to the culture and the people around you. Essentially, you end up speaking a language people no longer understand or appreciate. Irrelevant people eventually lose the ability to communicate meaningfully with the people that they care about and to contribute to the causes that they're passionate about. Sometimes it leaves them frustrated and confused as to why no one gets them anymore. And in other cases, irrelevance leaves them surprisingly unaware that their influence is eroded and just plain gone. So that's what we're thinking about this week. Well, uh, irrelevance. It's either language, attitudes, outlooks, or the way in which we connect and behave. Rick Warren has put it this way. When the speed of change around an organisation is faster than the speed of change inside the organisation, the organisation is in danger of becoming irrelevant. And Kerry Niehoff argues that this applies to people as well as organisations. The gap between how quickly you change and how quickly things change is called irrelevance. Now, right at the outset, I can imagine that some of you, as I've said, have a problem with this idea as well, because we're a church. And surely, surely churches shouldn't be flipping and flopping in response to the culture, uh, because the culture in which we live is, is so superficial, and the culture in which we live is often anti or Christian or agnostic about the Christian faith. And surely passages like Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, should be a sharp reminder about this. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to, the, to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So repeatedly, Scripture does urge us to make a stand, to be clear in our own minds about the way in which God would have us live, and to be thinking in the way in which we can actually live faithfully to him, which might mean we are in radical, uh, out of radically out of alignment with the world and culture in which we live. Now, all that's true, and we thought about that a number of weeks ago when we thought about the issue of character, because it is true to say, to use the cliche these days, character eats competence for lunch every time. We need to be firm in what we believe and yet flexible in the way in which we go about living that out and flexible in the way in which we go about proclaiming the Christian message. In today's reading, we have these words. St. Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew and to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law in order to win those under the law. And to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so that it's to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To the strong, I became strong. I have become all things to all people that by all possible means, I might have win some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So what we see here is incredible gospel flexibility. And why is Paul so flexible? Well, to win as many as possible. 
And what Paul says here may seem simple to us, but in his day and context, it would have been as challenging as our day and our context. Paul operated in a situation where the Roman emperor had absolute authority and people were meant to bow down to him as a god. So to actually not do that was incredibly challenging and could in fact have led to the loss of your life. Paul ministered, uh, had his pattern of preaching and going to a town, preaching in the synagogue at first and then going into the marketplace. And in those two different contexts, he had to actually have the two different ways of seeking to convey the same simple message. He had one ongoing mission, but he had a different method in different places for how he approached that. So if we want to remain relevant as people, as well as that as a church, we have to think about how we respond to change. Now, as people, we are generally speaking hardwired to resist change. I think we can all think of things in our lives that we know we need that need to change, but we've kept putting it off. Uh, I have a particular aversion to going to the dentist, and if we have any dentists still listening, this is not because I've got anything about dentists in particular, uh, but I did have a very unhappy experience as a child where I had a molar removed by a dentist who had the very strong hint of alcohol in his breath in his chair without anaesthetic, uh, and it's kind of, you know, seared me for the rest of my life. So I knew I got all these emails reminding me every six months that I should go to the dentist and I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And eventually I really thought I should do something and I had the most horrific experience when they cleaned my teeth because they hadn't had any attention for a decade. And there was kind of blood everywhere. It was a very unpleasant experience. And then I got referred to a specialist because I had some things that needed to be attended to. Well, if we put things off because we don't want to change there will often be consequences. So why don't we change? Well, firstly, because you aren't opposed to change, just change that you didn't think of. Change happens in two ways. It's either externally imposed or it's internally driven. Internally driven change is easier to deal with. It's change that I thought of and I initiated and I feel like I've got some control over. You're in charge and you're calling the shots. On the other hand, externally driven change is something that we strongly resist. Why? Because other people are making the decisions or bringing about the change and we have to adapt and we have to get on board with that. And in many cases, we'll resist it, we'll resent it and we'll fight it. But secondly, you crave what you already like. Now, when it comes to food, it's true to say, I think, that lots of us have favourite foods and we'll crave those foods because we're familiar with them and we like them and we love to have more of that food because it's something that we have a particular affection for. We don't generally savour things that we haven't experienced unless I guess it's some incredibly exotic thing that you'd love to do sometime. But again, you're not savouring it because you've not experienced it and you don't know what it is. Now, your work patterns, your life habits, your decorating tastes, the movies that you go to, the books that you read, uh, all of these operate on the same basis. You've got an effective way of doing things, you like doing things that way, and you'll do it that way if you've got a choice, and you don't like that to be disrupted. Uh, I like to think, uh, it's, for me, I like the colour blue. And whenever I go out to shop, which, you know, I can't really remember when I went out to a shop to buy something, but that will happen this weekend, uh, I almost inevitably will come home with a blue shirt, even though I, um, when I go out, I'll say, Hale, you shouldn't buy yet another blue shirt. You've already got 20 of them, or 15 or something. Uh, but that's what often ends up happening. 
Well, we crave what we already know. Well, thirdly, you encounter problems with success. If we're part of something that is successful, then we usually were in the right place at the right time and we innovated and we got an advantage. And having been successful, you will tend to become conservative to protect what you've made or been a part of. It's natural, isn't it, to not want to take risks because if you take risks at this point, you may actually undo the success that you've enjoyed. But the challenge, of course, is in a rapidly changing context like we live in these days, if you don't keep evolving and changing, you might get left behind or you might end up in a rut. Just think about it, the challenge between retail and online, the tension between the home versus the mobile phone, the way we bank, the way we book trips, the way we go to the theatre, all those things have changed. We might have had a preferred way of doing it, but we've had to adapt because that's the nature of change. And if we don't, we won't be very successful or effective anymore. We'll actually not be able to participate. So what does change look like? Well, firstly, we need to love the mission more than the methods. In all of our lives, there is the mission and there are the methods. The mission is big, to do whatever it is that you've been gifted by God to be a part of. It could be teaching, it could be science, it could be medicine, it could be parenting, it could be caring, it could be business, it could be building, catering, creating. There's a whole long list of things that we can suggest in that area. The mission is about what we want to accomplish. The methods are the means by which we achieve the mission. Now this is, I think, an important thing to reflect upon. In our work lives, there are probably hardly any areas where we do things the same way that we do them today that we did 50 years ago. The mission may continue, but the methods by which we do that have altered and kept evolving and adapting. Some of us here at St. Columns are empty nesters. And it was fabulous when all of our kids were living at home and we could get together regularly and have meals together. We didn't have to organise anything. It just happened spontaneously. These days our kids often live interstate or somewhere else and it's complex to get together because they're living their lives and we have to actually uh, be flexible about what it means to get together as a family. Mission and methods need to be in sync to be effective. Then things change and you have to become adaptable in order to keep on fulfilling that mission. Now, as an example, in the 1960s, there was a guy called the Reverend Bill Lloyd, who was the vicar of St Hilary's. And he was the first person in Australia to run, uh, to show fact and face, face movies, fact and faith movies, rather, uh, in the church at St Hilary's. And the mythology is that the church was absolutely packed out, full of kids who would come along to watch these movies on reel-to-reel -reel movies, where they'd have all sorts of curious and beautiful things about facts of nature, and that would relate into the faith. Now, I can't imagine if you were showing a reel-to-reel movie here at St. Columns about fact and faith these days, that you'd get many people along. What Bill did in his era was innovative. He was the first person in Australia. Uh, it was brilliant in its era, but it's not necessarily the method that we would use today. So we need to love the mission, not just the method. But secondly, we've got to get radical. In an era of continuous and continual change, such as which we live in, it is tempting to think that we can go for a minimalist approach. The whole world may be changing, but I'll just change in a few areas. Incremental change leads to incremental results. And maybe we need to get radical personally as a and as a church to break out and discover new methods 
to fulfill the mission in our context and in our day. Now, in the past year and a half, every church has been confronted with a whole new way of being church. We didn't plan for this. We didn't actually dream up the idea. We had no control over the circumstances by which we were put, up, put into this situation. And while it's been challenging and there's been aspects of it that many of us would wish that had never happened before, you've got to believe that God actually had something in mind in all of this and that we're going to learn something as a consequence. I always love telling the story of Sindel Baptist Church here in Melbourne. It's got a relatively new complex, but for reasons that I don't fully know, uh, they'd never set up the digital technology that would be required to do the sort of live streaming that every church is doing at present. Uh, when the pandemic hit and their buildings, their services were shut down physically, they had to get all of that gear into place literally overnight. And then interestingly, a month or two after that, they started getting handwritten notes from little old ladies who were living in nursing homes saying they were loving the live stream service because their grandson or granddaughter had set up the laptop on their nursing home bed so that they could participate. Uh, and those people hadn't been to church for years at Sindel, but suddenly they were able to go to church at Sindel using the sort of contemporary technology that you wouldn't associate with a nursing home, but in God's providence was happening. That's a kind of, a, I think, a wonderful example of the fact that we've got to keep changing and finding new ways of doing the same old thing to connect with people in new ways. But thirdly, become a student of culture. If we're going to connect in today's culture, then we need to be at least, at least make some attempt to understand it and to keep up to date with it. We do live in challenging and complex times when things are constantly changing and it can be incredibly perplexing as a consequence. There is a phrase that's often used called V-U-C-A. I don't recommend saying that as a word because it mightn't come out too well, but V-U-C-A to describe our context. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. That's the context in which God has invited us to live and the context in which God has invited us to do gospel ministry in 2021. And we have to be open to new ways of doing things if we're going to uh, connect in this VUCA situation. But thirdly, surround yourself with young people. One of the great blessings of being a part of a church community is that you get to mix with a range of people from all different ages. You're not just stuck in your age bracket. And that means the potential exists to, sp to spend time with young people. And if you're spending time with young people, you're more likely to have a sense of what's going on today uh, than is what was happening when you were younger, which in uh, many of our cases was quite a while ago. So surround yourself with young people. And fourthly, try to age well. Now this is a big one for some of us. Most of us baby boomers like me are in total denial about the fact that we are actually getting older. I had this shocking experience on a tram a few years back when I was hopped onto a tram in the city. And as I hopped into the tram, this younger person stood up so that I could sit down. Now, I just assumed that there must have been a really old person on the tram that I was standing up for, and I looked around, and there was no one else there other than me. And I had this terrible awareness that suddenly, gee, they must think I'm really old, uh, and they were standing up for me. That's the nature of getting older. Now, I've always liked to think that I'd, I'd hate to think I'd became one of those grumpy old men that we're all uh, familiar with. So if you don't want to be like that, you've got to actually work out how to continue to be relevant, how to continue to connect and how to be someone who's evolving and changing. 
I went to a funeral last year for a person called Don Helmore, who was a great person who lived in Hawthorne. And Don was in his 90s, but one of the, was, was one of those incredibly fresh and contemporary people. He had 20 years where he nursed his wife, who had severe dementia at home, and that really dominated so much of his life in that era. But in spite of that, he still kept in touch, still caught up with people, still caught up with the news, uh, kept active connections. And in his latter years, after his wife had passed away, he had incredible opportunities to connect in new ways. Someone who was aging well uh, and had a very generous outlook. Well, what about lastly, change and churches? Peter Corney in his little book, Change and the Church, puts it this way. Change and adaptation are necessary to life and growth. Without constructive and healthy change, we stagnate or remain stunted as individuals. We can all reflect on changes we've made in our lives that were vital to our growth and development as people. Growth can come in a variety of ways, such as learning new skills, changing jobs, overcoming fear, or feeling inadequacy and making, uh, overcoming a fear of feeling inadequate and making new friends. So I guess Corny's point is just as we have to keep evolving ourselves as people, and embracing new possibilities. We, the church needs to do exactly the same. Every church has to wrestle with the key question of what it means to love the mission and to be flexible about the methods. As we know, the vestiges of former churches are littered all around the place these days that have been repurposed for other uh, purposes. There's one not far here, from here in St. Columns, uh, a very grand building that's the basis for a business that makes buildings and uh, architectural services no longer being used as a church. And I think we're all very familiar with the fact that there's lots of examples of that all over the place. Now, fortunately, this isn't the whole story. There are as many new churches emerging as there are churches dying at present. Many of them don't meet in historic buildings, so they don't have the same physical presence in our community. Well, whatever it is that we, you need to be thinking about and reflecting on upon here at St. Columns, uh, one thing you do need to reflect on, like every church needs to think about, is, okay, what is our mission? We think we, uh, we can get that from Scripture and that will be unchanging, but what are the methods that we're going to embrace and use which have to keep evolving and keep changing if, in fact, we're going to be relevant and going to connect into the context where God has put us because he's put us here now no, not in the 1950s, 60s, or whatever. There's one that much, much one could say about this, but I think the, then I look forward uh, to an exciting journey that you're going to have with your new vicar as you wrestle with those questions, questions and you see new possibilities emerge. Well, I'd hate to think that I'd be connecting in such a way that it made no sense to the people around about me. Uh, in order to do that, you've got to really be someone who's seeking to be open to new possibilities as you seek to serve God and to live your life for him. Amen.